Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show here. I'm Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent, and I'm joined this week by two very special guests to talk about a fairly tricky uh, topic. We're talking about Infowars and Alex Jones and whether or not he should be banned from social media, whether or not it makes him a martyr, whether or not he's just a total scumbag that deserves to be kicked off uh, the air. Um, the two guests I have, uh, the first guest is Konstantin Gurdiev, who's a, prof- a professor of finance at Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey in the US, and also an adjunct assistant professor of finance with Trinity College Dublin. He is, of course, also a former editor of Business and Finance and a fairly accomplished economist and financial uh, contributor in his own right. I'm also joined by Jason O'Mahony, who is a political pundit. Um, also, as it happens, a former candidate for the Progressive Democrats about 60 years ago. Um, He's been a weekly columnist for the Times Ireland edition newspaper, also appearing in the Sunday Times. He's been doing that for about three years, I think. Um, You're both very welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks, Adrian. Okay, so I'm going to start off by looking at Infowars and Alex Jones. Now, for unless re- listeners have been hiding under a rock, they should be aware who Alex Jones is. If they're not, I'm going to give just the 60-second uh, idiot's guide to him. He is the founder of uh, a site, a service, a uh, broadcasting empire called Infowars for about the last 20 years. He is very, very controversial. He's accused the US government of being involved in the Oklahoma City bombing, of fabricating the September or being involved in the September 11th, 2001 attacks, um, faking the moon landing. He also said that the Sandy Hook shootings never happened. He's been sued by defamation by the parents uh, of two children who died in that uh, 2012 uh, massacre. And he has recently in the last week or two been booted off most social media on the web, including uh, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, uh, Stitcher Radio, Apple's removed him from uh, iTunes. And now there's a big debate over whether he should also be removed from Twitter. There's a a raging debate. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, I'm going to go to you first, Constantine. Do you think in general, it's a first of all, it's a good idea for those social media companies to have banned him? And do you think that Jack Dorsey should follow suit? 
Well, let me start by saying that this is probably the worst example of the uh, case where you would try to defend the freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, the Infowars, as you described them, has been, have been in existence for quite a while. It's not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It is a conspiracy theory website, in my view. And I actually wish that most of the viewers or listeners would have never heard of it, mm-hmm. um, simply because it is woeful in terms of its quality and it's, uh, in terms of its content. Mm-hmm. However... There are two key issues from my point of view, which involve the whole current ongoing debate about this, yes? Mm-hmm. And these involve two key, extremely important aspects of the today's debate about liberty and social institutions, including social media. The first one is the very old topic, freedom of speech and the bounds on it that we can tolerate and how those bounds should be established and enforced. The second one is less uh, than, uh, you know, than actual bounds, but the enforceability of these bounds. And the second one, is a relativity, uh, relatively new uh, topic, but no less important one, and this is the role of social media platforms in the society in general. Mm-hmm. So, in my view, there has to be a balance struck uh, in favor of the freedom of speech, and there has to be a view of the social media platform as not publishing houses, like, say, for example, Times or Irish Times mm-hmm. or The Independent or El País um, and so forth, or BBC for that matter but rather the access networks Mm -hmm. into the broader web. And this is a very big difference. While the first set, the publishing platforms, can and should exercise the editorial discretion, editorial management, editorial content management as well, and selective biasing and selective positioning of their content Mm -hmm. uh, to reflect their views, to reflect their ethos and so forth, the networks like the utilities networks, should not be granted that capacity. And in this sense, to me, the likes of Facebook are certainly closer in spirit towards networks rather than towards the publishing platforms. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's an interesting point. I think we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. That is something that I do want to flesh out. Just before we do, though, Jason, do you think that there's a risk in banning Alex Jones or Infowars from these big call them networks, call them platforms, call them whatever you want, that we actually risk turning him into a martyr? Uh, not really in, in his instance, because, I mean, it's not that long ago where we can remember when, so when he was, a, was actually a figure of fun, mm-hmm. was a clown. I mean, 20 years ago, Louis Thoreau was doing documentaries about him where he had the mickey taken out of him mm. and was treated that way. Um, it's only in, in recent years that we've somehow managed to take a, uh, the sort of the, the imprimatur of seriousness mm-hmm. and put it on on people like Alex Jones. And he's actually done it himself. I mean, when this when this uh, when these decisions were made, he uh, put out a tweet that uh, this was the beginning of an attack on on you know other conservative news outlets. In other words, attributing to himself mm. the same sort of weight of uh, even someone like Fox, Fox News, News and saying, yeah. oh, well, they, they've come for me first. They're not going for, and uh, they'll be going for Fox News next. Mm. And we need to actually, we do have to ask about the seriousness of, of, of the contribution that someone like him makes uh, because, I mean, it's, it's, you know, he is not Fox News. He is not the BBC. So is it, do you mean, are you talking about credibility here? Because a, a lot of people would say that it is very serious that when he denies that Sandy Hook happened or he talks about this, infamous Pizzagate conspiracy, which uh, sort of a fairly absurd um, conspiracy, which was supposedly involved a Hillary Clinton 
sponsored yeah, the, ring. The pedophile uh, ring. Yeah, it was ridiculous yeah. and, and a, a conspiracy. But that actually somebody turned up and, and shots were yes. fired. So, so a lot of people would say that that's serious. Yeah, but it's only serious because we actually gave him the attention which allowed him then to trigger some... But isn't allowing him on these... Um, uh, on these networks, isn't that what gives him uh, that it's, attention? Look, it's, it's, it's the old adage between telling the difference between art and pornography. You'll know it when you see it. Yeah. And the question of, of his seriousness compared to a genuine news organization, we mm -hmm. do have to draw a distinction. So what, so what, or what are you saying? Do you think that uh, Facebook were right to, to, yes, to exercise their discretion? Yes, they are. But, but the actual legitimate question of do we give a private organization like Facebook, which has control mm -hmm. of a virtual public space, mm -hmm. that power? I mean, it's fine for someone like me to see Alex Jones uh, bumped off the air. What if they decide they don't want MSNBC or they don't want the New York Times? Mm -hmm. the, there is a broader issue that has to be dis discussed. The problem, of course, that he is a terrible bloody example to bring but, up. But just in this particular instance, right, with, with Alex Jones, do, do you or do you not think that the likes of YouTube and you know, iTunes and Facebook, were they right? Were they, were they, it, was it okay for them to kick him off their At network? the moment, in their current position, effectively as private operators, yes. You do think so. Yes. Co yeah. Constantine, is it, isn't it fair enough that if uh, a company like Facebook or Twitter is a private <laughs> platform or network, that they can just do what they want and if they don't agree. And, and, and isn't that the same as InfoWars' own policy where it basically had in its own terms and conditions <laughs> that it could actually kick people off if they were it, it had unacceptable content? Well, I think that is a debate uh, for... Uh, that is a huge debate to have because uh, we cannot currently define and differentiate the roles that um, platforms, mass platforms like Facebook, like YouTube, like Instagram... Uh, play uh, in a modern society in terms of granting access to the internet, and that is a key issue here. Mm. Uh, they're not uh, service providers, internet service providers uh, by definition, and yet they're gatekeepers to the service provision and the service access. And this is a debate about the network issue um, and also the issue, of course, of the editorial control and so forth. Let me go back to something that Jason said. I mean, I agree with pretty much 99% of what he said. Um, my problem there is that, and he mentioned those key words, art versus pornography. Mm -hmm. Facebook is currently actively censoring artists, phot photography artists, who have nothing to do with pornography, who are exhibited established artists of international repute for use of images that they have taken with full consent, with full allowances and everything else that Facebook considers to be inappropriate. So just just, um, just so to be clear, just Jones. to be clear about that, what, what what's you don't have to be specific, but roughly speaking, what kind of images or what kind of artistic uh, uh, women photographers taken, for example, photographs, self-portraits. So you you, uh, you mean nudes, for basic example, basic nudity? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, they have censored before historical contests mm -hmm. of the what they call offending photographs, for example, from the Vietnam War period. Yeah. So this is not about Jones. This is about the role of those networks and how much we as a society allow them to police our space in terms of the freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and freedom of thought. Mm -hmm. And this is a very fundamental issue because it goes to the heart of the Western democracy today, which is actually the heart of which is quite weak right now mm -hmm. and needs some attentions. And yet, when it comes to issues on which we disagree, we tend to be more in favor of curtailing the opposing views 
Mm-hmm. We all support freedom of speech, but we don't support freedom of speech when it applies to people like Jones. Mm-hmm. This is true of the media, by the way, and th- let's not <clears throat> let's not just single out social media alone here. Polarization trends that have driven that have been in place more than 20 years now. Um, and it also is true of the media users. Consider how media evolved to the current state of play, and I mean general mainstream media, where editorial biases have become pervasive and invasive. 1990s newspapers in the United States moving from local protection monopoly to regional uh, to national titles. Removing that protection of the market power resulted in polarization in print. We know that huge amount of research on that has been done and published. This was followed in the late 1990s by similar trends in network TV and cable. So infowars are not an isolated standalone phenomenon, but an outrun of logical progression of this mainstream uh, media drift towards polarization. Mm-hmm. People know that. If you take pure research data from Western Europe, which was conducted in the last quarter last year, Users of mainstream media in Europe generally agree that their media covers important stories of the day and is getting facts right. This is all good. But the same users of the same media also see deep weaknesses when it comes to media investigating actions of the government. There are a couple notable exceptions for Europe, that's Netherlands and Sweden, where people actually are more inclined to believe that media is testing the government and taking them to public opinion court. But outside of those two countries, pretty much 50 Per percent or more of the people do not believe that it does. Mm-hmm. They also see that media fails in providing coverage independent of corporate influence and miserably fails in being politically neutral in the uh, in terms of their news well, coverage. Well, no, no, nobody this thinks is in the, Europe. Yeah, nobody thinks that yeah. newspapers so are politically the, neutral. But, is, but are you drawing a distinction yeah. here between, because you, you're mentioning traditional media and newspapers and broadcasters, are you drawing a, a distinction here between those entities and the likes of a Facebook or a Twitter. And, and I mean, what when, I do, when, when I do. When, and Facebook, by the way, does that themselves as well. If you look at, for example, the most recent statement by Mark Zuckerberg and a follow up statement by the uh, media relations head or at Facebook, you completely clearly see that Facebook on one side, Zuckerberg's view is the publishing house's competitor. On the other side, it is a publishing house's enabler. So in other words, Facebook itself hasn't really fully defined its position within this space. Is it the media company or is it the company which grants access as a platform? But, you, but your Google, reaction, the, the way you're platform. talking, the way you're talking and your inst- your instinctive reaction as it is coming across is that Facebook and Twitter and those services are more akin to a public square and a public space than the likes of a newspaper or a broadcaster is. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And they make money by doing that. They do not necessarily create their own content. If they do, it's a minor component of their overall platform Mm -hmm. content. They take content either for free to republish, sometimes for the fees and so forth. So in other words, they're republishing or if if you want their pipeline, uh, they're not the content providers themselves. The other issue here, and um, Jason mentioned that as well, and I think it's crucially important, is that let's remember, we do have very significant restrictions on free speech that are valid, established by the legislators, and legally enforced. Things like slander, incitement of violence in the United States, incitement of hatred, incitement to suicide in the United States are restricted. False statements of facts, obscenities, and so forth. There are plenty of such restrictions in Europe. There are plenty in the U.S. The key to Jones's case is that these restrictions 
determination of an act of violation of law under these restrictions is the prerogative of the judiciary. But then can, can, the can I ask you, can, can I ask the you then, so we have had examples here, and I can think of, uh, for, exa- for example, in Ireland, uh, the, the radio station News Talk um, about eight or nine months ago, I think, took a decision that it wasn't going to allow any more people from the Irish Times newspaper on because of a row they had with Fintan O'Toole. And that there, there's an example of a media organization, which is, it's not massive, but it's not small. I mean, it, it's a national media uh-huh. organization effectively, um, effectively banning um, people, you know, uh, from a rival media organization. Okay, it was a big media row, but um, would you feel that the same, uh, would you feel the same sense of um, censorship or, or, or of abrogation of free speech there? Would you feel that News Talk has the same responsibility to, or the Irish Independent, or the Irish Times, or anyone else, has the same responsibility Actually, I, to I don't. people? I, I find I, I found that case to be absolutely ridiculous from News Talk's point of view, and I found it really to be highly unfortunate from the listeners' point of view and from the journalists working at News Talk point of view. But that is an editorial decision by an editorially controlled organization. But then why can't why, why can't Facebook decision. and or Twitter do the same thing? Because Twitter and the like because News Talk supplies its own content and it is yeah. responsible for its own content. Okay. Twitter does not supply its own content. Twitter takes the content of people like myself, like mm-hmm, Jason, mm-hmm. yourself as well, mm-hmm. and they allow us to put that content into the public. Do you not think so that they words, take editorial decisions uh, in their news feed? And I, like, for example, they, they, like Twitter and, and Facebook, they actively uh, pr- have the algorithms that actively promote and decide based on criteria that they themselves come up with, which... Uh, posts or tweets mm-hmm. or photos are going to find the best distribution, are going to be spread, are going to turn up in your timeline or in my timeline. Is that not a form of, of editorial curation and does that not actually bring them into the realm of editorial I'd, control? As a former editor, I don't think it is an editorial curation. I mean, it is a curation on some basis of the criteria that they set. I don't really think necessarily it is an editorial criteria. In mm. other words, it is not aligned with the world view of the publication, with its position in the society, with the audiences it is trying to address. Mm-hmm. It is probably aligned more closely, and here I'm speculating, with the commercial interests, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily an editorial decision. But nonetheless, regardless whether it is or not, they should not be doing that, mm-hmm. in my view. Now, again, you know, you can make an argument, this is kind of a gray area because they're not quite banning anyone outright. They're downplaying and upplaying certain different participants. So they're introducing a bias or an angle to it, yes? Mm. And we might be tolerant of this as not being restricted necessarily fully of free speech, such as, for example, if YouTube downgraded Jones's um, channel and just simply said, well, you know what, we're not going to promote it. We're not going to put it up in terms of the search uh, engine results and things mm-hmm. like that. You and I might say, well, you know, it probably is censorship, but it is censorship, censorship which is tolerable in the sense that it doesn't cut off their access. And this is interesting because you mentioned Apple case. Apple did indeed ban, ban um, uh, Jones's show from the iTunes or removed it from iTunes, the old episodes. But it did not remove InfoWars app from the App Store. Right. And this is uh, another fundamental case here. Here, Apple is boxing much cleverer, mm-hmm. much more sensitively towards the direction of we're not going to police the, uh, the speech mm-hmm. that Jones produces and the ideas that he puts out into the public, but we're not going to promote it actively mm-hmm. either. 
That's a okay. fair point. Yeah, yeah that, that's a fair point. What, what do you think about all that, Jason? Well, I mean, just bear in mind that there is a, a, a history in the past, even in the United States, not quite of censorship, but of the state actually taking an active interest in the content that is put out. Mm. Um, from the 1940s up to the mid-80s, uh, the Federal Communications Commission had a thing called the Fairness Doctrine, yeah. where they required uh, public broadcasters to actually pay attention to the content and that what was been put out in discussing uh, issues of public interest were actually balanced. Mm. And it was stuff like that. I mean, as a, I mean, Jesus, Fox, those days, those days went years ago, didn't they? Yeah, but this is it. But I mean, no, but and you know, but people say, and when you hear uh, some people on on, on the, the right say, well, you know, that was just basically the liberal mm. media. Don't forget, Ronald Reagan managed to get elected twice under those rules, mm. you know, in 1984 by a massive landslide. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Now, the question is, how do you do that on a platform that's effectively a global platform? Mm. That's tricky. Just, uh, just on the point of, um, on the point of uh, I can pinpoint to you the exact moment when that whole fairness doctrine went out the window. You've seen the Best of Enemies documentary, yes. haven't you, on Netflix. So the Best of Enemies, that's the one with Gore Vidal versus William, uh, William F. Buckley. William F. Buckley. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, I think it was CBS or ABC. One of the networks didn't have the money to compete with the other two for a presidential election. Yeah. So they decided they yeah. would substitute their coverage with a couple of pundits coming in and just, you know, talking or arguing, a bit like what we're doing now because uh, it's much cheaper. And uh, and that basically was the beginning of Fox News, MSNBC, cheaper to have pundits in, and ultimately Alex Jones, ultimately Trump. And anyway, there's a whole different show on that. I want to ask but, but, you... Can I just yeah. come back to you on that? Yeah. I mean, if you remember, you and I are old enough to remember Hannity Excuse and Combs. <laughs> remember Hannity and Combs I do Fox remember News? Hannity and Combs. And the Fox. whole point of court... Remember, and the whole... Yeah. Now, Combs was, let's be honest... He was a token God liberal. rest him, he was yeah. not the strongest. no. But even if you look back on that show now and mm -hmm. compare it to Sean Hannity now, where mm -hmm. it's just completely no, the worst the is Fox thing. and Friends. I, I like sometimes I go to the states quite a lot, and I, I occasionally tune into Fox just to see what what it's like. And Hannity, at least there's a kind of a you know the he tr there is a, a semblance of trying to look at an issue, even if he has very strong views. Fox and Friends is like some sort of infomercial. I mean, it, yeah. and. I think it's because they know that Trump watches the show, but it's actually which, sickening. Which is actually terrifying. It's hilarious. But, but anyway, listen, but is, yeah. You're getting into that, exactly this, you know, the shades of gray. And mm -hmm. this is the mm -hmm. argument that Jones is making. And it is an argument about not so much uh, martyrdom, but rather um, about who is enforcing the laws. If the courts are enforcing the laws, that sets precedents, which are tested in subsequent court decisions, mm -hmm. which can go all the way to the Supreme Court, and the legislators can have a final say. Mm -hmm. In the case of the likes of the iTunes, or in the case of the likes of the Twitter, or Facebook, and so forth, um, who is to say what's going to be next? You know, Of course, Infowars' ideological biases are completely extreme compared to, say, for example, El País or New York Times. Mm -hmm. But the intensity of the bias cannot be the test of legitimacy of free speech. It never is, including in the courts. Why? Because if it were, we can uh, shut down Fox News MS and mm. MSNBC, which is a Fox News equivalent on the other side of the yeah, political yeah, spectrum, yeah, yeah. who are more intensely biased than, say, BBC. Mm -hmm. And we can shut down tabloid newspapers, which are even more biased than Fox News, mm -hmm. and so on. Where does the buck stop? So I, I, I want to put the, the yeah, 1980s. Yep. Um, 1989 is the year when the uh, Supreme Court in the United States ruled on Texas versus Johnson case, which was the flag burden 
decriminalizing flag burning in the United States. Okay. So not everything in terms of the deregulation or the reduction in controls of the state over the freedom of speech that has happened in the 1980s was necessarily negative. Mm, mm. Polarization of the media didn't start, by the way, in the 1980s. It actually started in the 1990s, and it's uh, first, I, I, I would say, I would say way before that but, that, but but yeah, I take your point. But J Jason, it's a fair point in terms of where, if, if it's Alex Jones now, and I know this is sometimes used as a straw horse argument, but I'm going to put it anyway. If it's Alex Jones now, I mean, is there a case then for banning anti-vaxxers, for example, from social networks or flat earthers? Is Is it based on the damage that we think that they do? Is it based on... Um, whether they're right or wrong? Well, I mean, there is, again, it's, it is a question of, you have to have a start from, if you take a state broadcaster, mm -hmm. you have to go from a position of trust. Do you actually trust them to actually put on? No, but can I, I mean, can no, I, but hang on. Yeah. When, 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 we don't, when we talk about child safety, we don't mm -hmm. automatically invite on paedophiles to get the paedophile point no. of view. We do accept that there is one side to So an does that mean that, that we should ban anti-vaxxers from Facebook? There's, I, I don't know. It's don't certainly, know. No, that's, I don't know. Enough. That's actually, a fair but answer. Certainly, it's, it's an argument worth having. I genuinely don't know. Yeah, that, that's a fair answer. I mean, um, the other question I wanted to ask you was if Facebook and Twitter are, well, let's say Facebook and YouTube for the moment, are justified in banning Infowars, um, does that mean that if you take it a step down to say the telecoms networks, to, to you know, to, to, Say there's the telecoms networks all decide. I'm kind of amazed that there's no pressure on them yeah. uh, or the hosting or the hosters, if it's, you know, uh, Amazon or whatever. Um, do you think it's legitimate to to look at their role in, in, and in this? And put pressure on them in terms of yeah. as a service deliverer? Yeah. I, I mean, look, the truth is you're getting into very dangerous territory here. Let's be okay. honest. I mean, the, the so are you saying it's okay for Facebook to kick them off, but not necessarily I'm, I'm for I'm saying that, that if you actually get to a stage where you're actually, I mean, you're talking about the actual... Could he potentially, by saying he has his own website, yeah. can he communicate directly that way? Should we stop him doing that? I'm not so sure about that. Okay, because there's um, a case, you probably both remember the, the case of the Daily Stormer, which is, which is an out-and-out -out Nazi um, mm -hmm. uh, a, a website. And last year, uh, its domain registrar, GoDaddy, uh, uh, told it that it had violated the terms of its services um, and basically kicked it off. So it went looking for uh, an alternative uh, and most of the other um, providers agreed with GoDaddy and there was a huge movement, a move against uh, the Daily uh, Stormer. And one of the chief executives of one of the companies, Cloudflare, he uh, blogged about this and he said he was very uncomfortable with the power that he had in doing this. He, he said he, he took the decision not to let the Daily Stormer use uh, its services um, because he said the straw that broke the camel's back was when the Daily Storm was boasting that Cloudflare was, you know, kind to Nazi and was one of them. And he said, well, screw that, you're not. However, he did say that um, he was very uncomfortable with having the power to do that. And he thought that it was dangerous. Um, and he thought that he literally, it was dangerous for him or Jeff Bezos and Jeff Amazon or Mark Zuckerberg to wake up one day and think, well, 
you know, that's the political climate. So therefore, I'm not going to uh, allow them on, even for a crowd as obnoxious and as dangerous yeah. as the Daily Storm. That's a point. But, isn't it? Yeah, it's a point. But it, again, and it's, it's a point uh, constantly, I think, is made that there is a difference between a, an individual or a, an individual company doing that as opposed to a society deciding to ban it. I mean, for example, if you deny the Holocaust in mm. Germany, it's a criminal offence. Yes. Your freedom of speech is denied. You will go to jail if you yes. deny the Holocaust. Yes. Is that a bad thing? I'm not so sure it is because to me, the Holocaust is a fact. Mm -hmm. So it's not something mm -hmm. which is up for debate. Yep, absolutely. I, I'm 100% in agreement with Jason on this. Uh, but another, there is another issue there and mm -hmm. that is going again, again, you're going now to the internet service providers. Mm -hmm. And this gives us to the whole question that we have to ask ourselves and answer as the, not just society in Ireland or society in the United States, but globally. Is access to internet a vital utility like energy like water or is it a luxury selective service provision in other words do we opt to have access and grant access to certain people and select against others and in that case what the criteria are mm. or do we simply treat the access to internet as a basic life-sustaining utility mm -hmm. as we move as society evolves technologically as we move beyond just the Facebook, which you might actually argue that it is not life-saving or life-sustaining um, service, as we move to, for example, things like telemedicine, remote mm. medicine, and so forth, the internet and access to the internet becomes more than just a kind of nice thing to have. Uh, we should really think about giving it more to people, but hey, some people will be restricted to something that is a basic utility and as a regulated ba basic utility, Utility companies are not allowed to deny service provision to anyone. Yes, but but Constantine, don't wouldn't you agree that the argument has not yet reached that point? This is the reason I brought up the networks, um, the networks argument. Nobody is suggesting that Alex Jones should not have access to electricity, should not have access to you know a hospital if he's sick, should not have access to running water, should not have access to the use of a publicly funded road. The, and, and partly it's because in most circumstances, if he's trying to get from A to B, there is only one road or two roads or three roads that, that are owned by the state. There is only one hospital. There is only, you know, um, one source of water or two source of water. Maybe maybe we're oversimplifying it if we try to compare access to a social network, you know, to access to the Internet. Well, that's the whole point, yes. So, I mean, is access to the Internet equivalent to the access to the social network? In a case when the social networks are not, competitive... Not, not yet, really, is it? Uh, is it or is it not? That's, it's a, it's that a good question. A huge question. Yeah. So, Alex Jones existed before the Facebook. Mm. Mm. Alex Jones was able to distribute newsletters in millions, probably, mm -hmm. um, you know, to to the readers and to the followers through the email channels and so forth. Mm -hmm. However, they increasingly having the same ownership of the um, email services and email service provision mm. as the networks. We have the networks which are now having messenger services. Yep. And you know, mail and communication services built into them, such as the Facebook Messenger, for mm, example. Mm. Um, and also, we have increasing monopolization and concentration of the network space in the hands of the social networks. Yeah, like Facebook, I mean, owns, face, Facebook owns half the whole show, and Google owns exactly, about, yeah. about the yeah. third of the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, exactly. There is very little competition, and as a result of that, we have to start asking questions now 
whether it is a vital utility and what are the access points to that vital utility. Simply to say that, hey, listen, we're going to deny you the um, access to the hospital. Actually, nobody really is denied access to the hospital. Yeah, nobody. Is, nobody's really they suggesting are, they might that be either. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I can see and your point, but I, ha I haven't heard anybody argue yet that you know Alex Jones or Infowars shouldn't have access to email or shouldn't be able to host you know to host a website or as you pointed out, um, uh, Apple still allows Infowars to have an app on its iOS mm -hmm. ecosystem. All of those things give it a fairly large um, addressable audience without having to go through the means of Facebook and Twitter. Well, well I mean, this, that, that puts the test for the freedom of speech even more into the kind of strange territory where we're just saying, well, they've got enough followers. So they can survive. Therefore, they can have a meaningful freedom. No, but do, 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 but do, but, do, but doesn't that doesn't that suggest ra ra quite to the contrary? Doesn't that suggest? Uh, and I'm already just following the argument here. But doesn't that suggest that Twitter and, and Facebook may be more limited than the universal utility that that that, that we sometimes describe them as? That 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 because there are such widespread number of alternatives that actually maybe they're not crucial utilities. I think, in fact, actually, the number of alternatives is shrinking. All of the research into the, you know, in both finance and in economics shows that the American social media space and American uh, media space generally mm. is becoming less and less increasingly more monopolized and less competitive. The mm. cross ownership, for example, between Amazon and uh, some print uh, publications that they have um, in the same relatively family or stable of the companies and so forth. All of that is showing that there is a concentrated ownership. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, the actual alternatives and access points are much less distributed. Mm -hmm. But you also have another test, which I'm not sure how to apply, but it's certainly pro potentially a valid interesting test to use as well. And that is a test what the users are using. If in the 1990s and early noughties, uh, when Infowars was just starting to mature and develop, um, if, uh, sorry, the word maturity, when it comes to Infowars <laughs> is a bit, you know, I mean commercially mature and, and developing. Uh, the majority of users were comfortable with the use of other media, such as uh, transmission through the um, uh, email, for example, uh, website and so forth. Today, nobody actually really does websites anymore. Even the blogging platforms are kind of sliding in terms of their ability to access mass audiences away and they're becoming more academic for people like me rather than for the mass um, users and consumers. Twitter, you are right, Twitter is kind of been shifting towards more media and professionals mm. like LinkedIn and so forth. It's becoming more and more niche rather than more and more mainstream. Therefore, you're getting less and less alternatives. You're being pushed into the space where the only way you can start meaningfully reaching your audiences, even no matter how vile those audiences are, mm -hmm. is still through the likes of the Facebook, through the likes of Instagram, through the likes of the YouTube. By the way, has anybody asked Bebo or MySpace what their policy <laughs> is? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know whether Alex Jones is banned from Remember Bebo. when we wanted to regulate MySpace? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Oh, listen, I could tell you some horror stories about the early days of regulating the internet. But um, uh, just, Jay, come in, just go come in there just on that. Um, you know, if you go back to, to thinking about the fundamentals, in the, say, the pre-internet age, you had a right, a freedom of speech, which meant that you could have a printer in your back room and you could print off your mm -hmm. white supremacist newsletter. That didn't give you a right to a column in the New York Times. Right. And essentially that what we're talking about now is 
I actually think we are on the verge where internet access is going to effectively become a human right mm -hmm. because we're becoming more and more a society where you cannot participate fully. Mm -hmm. and never mind in terms of communication, but even in terms of accessing services, mm -hmm. unless you have it. So the, the basic fundamental access through a service, that probably has to be guaranteed, and we may even have to legislate to guarantee that right. But that does not mean then that he also has a guaranteed right to something which magnifies his voice. Can I, can I, ask, you, right can I ask you straight up, um, uh, Donald Trump, do you think there's a case for... Um, uh, there's, him from, from from a sheer comedy point of view, there is a case for for taking Donald Trump off, for the sheer displeasure it would probably cause him. But the reality is, if Twitter in the run up to say the next uh, American election, three weeks for the election decided to take him off, no, right now, or well, no, okay, but no, but to, to give it a, at its most momentous thing of saying. That would be a, a shocking interference in the democratic process. Okay, but, but because it I, is his I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to I'm, yeah. going, I'm going I'm going to say to you right yeah. that that here's a guy Donald Trump who a large number of yes. people believe um, you know promulgates hateful things. Yes. He has previously retweeted a British a BNP. Don't dispute any of that. Uh, you know, which it could be could well, be very damning. So what? What? According, according to the he's same the logic that bans Alex States. Jones, what is what? That and, it's just and, that he's and president. The, and by the way, I'll, I'll go further. From but is, is it that he's just president? It, it, no, I'll, yeah, I'll that go gives further. Him an insurance when he policy. was nominated by his party, what as as one of the two major parties in the country as candidate, yep. whether we like it or not, he then uh, effectively had a right to actually speak to the American people and make his case through Twitter. True, true. Whatever uh, the most effective platform was. Okay, so, and so in his case, that was so. So in other words, so no, 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 no. Hang on. No, to be fair, Nana, I don't want to. I want to, to be fair about this. So can I just put a hypothetical to you? So if Alex Jones, for just wildly hypothetically, went and got elected as a congressman or a senator or or, or president, I don't know how senior you have to be. Then it, those networks would be wrong. I'll, in taking I'll, him I'll off. tell you why. Because again, it does pass in my mind yep. the question of seriousness which we used to apply in the media. We didn't let every nutcase on television. So hang on, you, but the you, fact is, if you, you no, think somebody, who, used to, somebody who came, who came no, in and my, got elected as a congressman... something as important as the nomination of the Republican Party... As a is congressman. A, ...is a big deal. No, no, no getting elected as a congressman yeah. is a big deal. And at that stage, yes. Is it? And is by it? the way, holding... The, but holding the, no, no, hang on. Yes, it is. And right. holding an elected office. It seems to be fairly oh, no, easy no, to no, get no, in, in a lot of constituencies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Chicago, you don't get elected if you're a Republican. Yeah, I agree. And that's your opinion. Fair enough. But what I'm it's saying a is... fact. You are holding... <laughs> an, if you're holding an elected office, yeah. and then Twitter decide, oh, by the way, we're not going to let any Republicans uh, on, on Twitter, yeah. you know? That is a blatant interference in the democratic process. Yeah, but but your basic point is that if Alex Jones got elected to something, that it would be wrong for Facebook and the others to ban I think him. if he actually held a public office, there's a much stronger argument, even though it would be mm. abhorrent. Okay, okay. okay. Um, I, I think it's very ironic because uh, in the United States, and I'm not a legal scholar, but as far as I understand the restrictions on freedom of speech, private free speech, Alex mm. Jones, uh, can only be restricted through the legal restrictions, in other words, judicial process. Right. However, the national security and government employment-related restrictions on freedom of speech are multiple, and they're contractual rather than purely legal. In mm. other words, if you are to make a case of kicking someone off the Twitter, kicking someone who is occupying a public office and is an employee of the government or works for the government is probably has more grounds, not that I would advocate that, 
and I would agree with Jason's view that it would be interfering with the democratic process and it would also create an absolute backlash within the electorate as well. Um, but nonetheless, that has some grounds at the very least in terms of the law. Mm -hmm. you, you, although, to be fair now to Jason, uh, Constantine, like the case that you're making, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that these social networks should back off to a large degree and rarely intervene, other than in cases where strictly there's been a defamation or some other legal contravention, that other than that, they should keep their paws off speech and they should just let anyone say anything. I, I, I think so. I think this okay. is the, the test of the freedom of speech limits. You, you've been in America system. for quite a while, haven't you? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the same should apply in Ireland as well. I mean, look, I, like... I'm oh, are you serious? In, in, in Ireland? Do you, do, you, like, do you remember, we used to have a thing here called Section 31. Uh, do you remember <laughs> yeah. that, Richard? I mean, like, we're not going to have... Well, we, we're not going to have those, that, those kind of principles here. And to be fair, to be fair, um, there I wasn't in... I was maybe too young to really have a strong view on 31. I don't like the idea of it now, but on the other hand, maybe there you know there were there were, there were good reasons for it at the time. Maybe there were strong security reasons. Maybe the reasons were as acute as as not being able to deny the Holocaust in, in Germany. Well, you know, don't maybe there were forget good that at the time, reasons. the Sinn Féin that was banned is not the Sinn Féin of now. Right. Don't forget, Sinn Féin only recognised the doll in what, 1986? Yeah, there were, a lot of them were actually They did not actually recognise the state. state. Yeah. They regarded yeah. us as a hostile state, mm -hmm. so it was a different... I, Exactly. And then, of course, what acts, uh, you know, and again, is this, you know, kind of putting my old, very old hat, editorial hat on, what mm -hmm. acts as an effective form of editorial control, and that is not censorship, this is different, okay, mm -hmm. is in case of Ireland, is the threat of legal action, which is extremely robust and extremely strong, and therefore journalists and editors test and retest numerous times anything that they say that can be construed as being effectively, a, you know, offensive form of free speech. You can say that that's bad, and sometimes I criticize that in the past myself, but overall that process works because again, it is tied to the legal process. You have to allow legislators to rule and determine the constraints on freedom of speech, and therefore you have to automatically allow judiciary to enforce that. Can, can, can you I, can, can't yeah. put in corporate interest somewhere in between that process and say, oh, they'll be the gatekeepers and then whatever gets through them, that can go to the can, can I tell you where I see, because I, uh, I work in the media, obviously, and, and I come up against that sort of stuff as well. But can I see tell you where I see the limits of that in practice on a weekly basis? What the scenario you're talking about is typically where you are reporting on um, on matters or on things where there are you know, companies or people of means who have the means to, to actually prepare yep. litigation or to sue you. Uh, really, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here with Alex Jones and, you know, other t topics like Brexit, a lot of the conditions, the chatter that led up to Brexit, uh, they involve kind of whipping up hate and hatred uh, around groups and sectors of society who don't necessarily mm -hmm. have that means. For example... Um, and I would hold the media more responsible here than I would social networks in Britain. Why did Brexit pass? <clears throat> was it Facebook and Twitter or was it actually mid-market tabloids basically lying about immigration into the UK? Um, and and the, the immigrants who suffer at the hands of, of those falsehoods um, 
in most cases, I think, by establish, establishing me, but also by social networks as well. They don't have the means. Like, the, it's no good telling mm-hmm. them that there's defamation law. Like, that's not what we're Correct. talking about here. We're, we're talking about strategic uh, uh, societal, civic, um, you know, issues and, and having some semblance of, uh, of a direction in, in, in how we want to point our society, right? Correct. However, then the test of the evolved institutions that protect the freedoms of speech but and liberty of uh, thought and so forth, but also at the same time protect people's dignity, is not so much whether you have the corporates policing it, but rather whether there are other organizations which can act collectively on behalf of a collective group of people to protect their rights, such as ACLU, in, for example, in the United States. Right. You know, there are very robust institutions like that. They need to be enlarged. Society needs to foster them. So if you want to do something about Alex Jones, go donate money to ACLU, go engage with different organizations, go engage with your media, Mm -hmm. demand that the media actually stands up to the falsehoods that people like Jones are spreading. Mm -hmm. Help your newspapers, pay for your content so that they can hire more good journalists to go after people like Jones. I mean, obviously, obviously, while I fully fully endorse (laughs) uh, those latter sentiments, but but isn't that what Jack Dorsey said? Google policing it for us. You cannot, because when you are defaulting on Google policing it for us, there will be an overreach. There will be an overstretch. There will be legitimate artists who cannot publish their photography, which is hanging in the museums. Right. I mean, this is where we're getting to. And Jones has been really unfortunate candidate for being protected. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I think the fundamental issue here is of freedom of speech and who polices it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jason. Well, just just a couple of points. First of all, let's not overegg uh, freedom of expression in the U.S. Try and get a nipple onto a terrestrial uh, American television, and you'll see the federal government come down to you very hard. Mm. So that's, that's well, you can you can on cable. You can on cable. But I'm at advantage. I do not have a TV. So. <laughs> oh. But you know, and, and actually, you know, you have your your wardrobe malfunctions instead. Right. Second thing, just on on the the Brexit case, bear in mind that broadcasting in Britain is actually heavily regulated in mm-hmm. terms of content. Mm-hmm. And I, and broadcasting I, is the print isn't. It, no, no, it's true. But one of the things, at least, that you still have in Britain, and it may be one of the reasons why the result actually was so narrow was the fact that the BBC and Sky News, for example, because they are regulated, they actually do have, uh, they have actually, there's more confidence in them amongst the general populace in that you do not have, in, as you have in the States, a segregated media market yeah. where conservatives watch Fox and liberals watch yeah, but, it, but it, it wasn't Facebook and Twitter that promoted mm. Nigel Farage or that, that, that ran stories saying that there was chaos well, yeah, in the Calais and, tunnel. And, and that's, sorry, the, the third point then, you just have to jog in my memory, the third point then is the voters do have to take some responsibility for this. That's a fair the point. The media can give them all the facts and information they want, but they do actually have to inform themselves and read the information. Yeah, but that, but that's a, but that's that's more of an argument, Jason. Surely, toward Constantine's argument that that you should that there should be uh, a little bit more. If you're saying that the voters should be more responsible and they should be more grown up, well, then that means that maybe they don't need to be quite as protected. No, because I I, I don't think that because. If you compare the American example to the British example, the fact is that a large proportion of the British population, whatever side of the political aisle they are, do actually rely upon broadcasters for news. They're all watching the same news. Now, they may come away. If you listen to UK people, they call the BBC the Brussels Broadcasting Corporation. Uh-huh. And yet you listen to Remainers, they say it's absolutely full of, of Farage supporters. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason, but at least they're all watching the same TV show, mm-hmm. as which isn't, isn't happening in the States. And I'm not sure that's beneficial. Mm-hmm. People having 
a news show which is actually uh, tailored to their own political pressures. Right. I, I don't necessarily think that that is that linear because you mentioned Britain. In the UK, amongst all of the European countries surveys by Pew Research, and that's Pew Research journal, Journalism Project, and I mentioned that survey from the uh, October through December last year. UK has the lowest trust in its news media, and this is mainstream news media, across all of the parameters of all European countries. Not only that, it actually has lower trust in the media, mainstream media, than the United States amongst the viewers. So having restrictions might induce higher quality at the very top of distribution, such as BBC, and even Sky that you mentioned, yeah. for example. But that doesn't guarantee that the rest of the spectrum of news reporting is going to be free of corporate influence, free of the perception by the viewers that they're politically non-neutral, uh, that they don't get their facts right. I mean, only 48% of British public believe that the news media is getting facts right. That is the lowest percentage in Europe. So it, it, we have to be careful that those restrictions that we are putting on the likes of Joneses are going to even drive more the polarization of perception of unbiasedness of media mm -hmm. and therefore undermine the media platforms, including the likes of the Facebook and YouTube as platforms, credibility in the eyes of the voters. And yes, we can say, okay, Infowars voters, people who follow them, we should just discount, discount them. Hillary Clinton tried to do that in the election. But I don't think we can, because if you look at the other research being conducted in the United States, and myself and a couple of co-authors actually have a paper on that coming up in the journal as well, the issues of politicization of media, mistrust in media, are some of the most pivotal reasons and drivers behind the decline in the public support for core democratic values, including the likes of the democratic governance in the Western democracies that has been happening since the late 1990s and continued on right now as well. We have to be really careful how we box about this issue. Mm. Um, for my, from on my part, um, I've kind of tried to steer a debate here between, between the issue. Um, I do think that they are justified in uh, kicking Alex Jones off the networks because I don't yet think, and I've argued on this podcast many times that I do believe Facebook in particular and Google, those two services in particular, are heading towards utility status. Like if you go to a developing world country, for example, um, and you ask them what the internet is, a lot of them will say Facebook or Google, and that is their only way of getting information, and therefore it is a quasi-utility. So I do think it's heading towards utility. I'm not sure yet that um, it, we're, we're, we're there yet. And, and I do think that for the moment, while uh, society is trying to figure out what Facebook's place is, is it a utility? Is it just a platform? Do they have quasi-publishing or editorial role? They probably do, not nearly to the same as a broadcaster or a newspaper, as a lot of journalists argue. But they do have some uh, effect because they do control news food. They do decide... Uh, on their algorithms, what to push, what to hold back, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think that um, uh, for the moment, they are going to, like with Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and those, the book for the moment will actually have to stop with them on what they allow or don't allow. If they're still here in 10 years' time, and if we still have a thing where, you know, two, three, four billion people are using Facebook, then I think we can talk about them as a public square and talk about the macro issues of them being utility and and then at, th at that point we maybe we even need sort of third party 
kind of uh, you know outsourced adjudication on issues like this. Maybe we need the equivalent of a BAI. Maybe we need a set. Maybe they need to be regulated more on issues like this, so that we're not having these these debates, and that we can uh, we, uh, we at least know what the what the rules are. If that that's makes of sense. course assuming we are all still democracies in ten years' time. Well, come on. You okay. Know? Well, we're not. We're not getting. We're not getting into that. We're not. We're not getting into that debate. So, look. Um, at this point, I'd like to thank both of my um, guests for coming on for a very lively debate. I, I hope um, you were entertained by that. Konstantin Gurdiev, professor of finance at Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, and an adjunct assistant professor of finance with TCD, former editor of Business Finance, and Jason O'Mahony, political pundit. Uh, and a weekly columnist for the Times Ireland edition newspaper who also appears um, in the Sunday Times. Thank you both very much for joining me on The Big Tech Show and we will be back at same time next week. For me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>